the happiness part is so big too because like my dad actually said to my coach like if she's not happy she won't swim well wow yeah that's such an important part of what I do as well is making sure I'm happy and there's kind of more purpose to what I'm doing rather than just trying to hit a time all the time. Pain is temporary and glory is forever. Oh. Like when when, tra- when you're like in the middle of a main set and your body is just really hurting, I can't, yeah, it's a good one to remember that this pain is only going to last as long as the set and then it's just going to help me in my goals that I want to achieve. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfilment along the way. Hello, lovely neighborhood. Welcome to December. I just can't believe how quickly 2020 is approaching. Speaking of, I'm such a big fan of the Olympics. I get so excited when they come back around every four years. And in the lead up to Tokyo 2020, I'm so delighted to have four-time Olympic medalist Emma McKeon on the show for today's episode. Being born into a swimming family with her dad as her coach and her brother also an Olympic swimmer, Emma competed at the Summer Youth Olympics before she had even finished school. She missed out on selection for London 2012, but came back in Rio to win a gold, two silvers and an individual bronze and is now preparing rigorously for Tokyo 2020. Knowing absolutely nothing about the swimming world and loving finding out about worlds I've never ventured into, I had a blast chatting to Emma all about her training, what it's like to swim in the Olympics, goal setting, and then of course, how she plays. She's also a fellow converted runner, adding running to her training, having proudly joined the Nike family a few years ago. We did this over the phone, so her audio isn't as clear as usual, but hope you enjoy nonetheless. Emma, thank you so, so much for joining. It's so lovely to chat to you. I know you're a super busy woman getting ready for Tokyo 2020. Yeah, thanks for having me. So happy to be on your podcast. (laughs) Well, the very first question before I start uh, the segments is what the most down-to-earth thing is about you? And I think even though it's something that we take totally for granted, I think most of us think we're pretty down-to-earth. From the outside, you know, you're such a champ with so many amazing achievements to your name. So just to break the ice, can you let us know something that's down-to-earth about you? Um, I'd probably say that I'm like really close to my family, even just like growing up with my siblings and my parents. And even though I live in a different state now, uh, my favorite thing to do would be spend time with my family over anything. Oh, that's so lovely. Such a cool story, actually. I was reading about your family. I was like, wow, what a swimming family. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, well, both my parents swam and my uncle swam. And so, yeah, we got a lot of 
swimming in our family. That's so cool. That, so that actually leads me to the first section, which is called Way TA, which is pretty much just how you got to where you are today. Because I think, you know, often people see you at the pinnacle of your life and forget that there's been everything between childhood and now of you getting to where you are. And there's so much that happens that's not, you know, nothing is linear. It's not a straight line. So take us all the way back to young Emma, growing up in Wollongong and in a swimming family as well. You know, were you always going to be a swimmer? Did you know during school that that's what you wanted to do? And, and how did you juggle that with, you know, your studies and, and balancing everything? Um, well, I guess I grew up around the water a lot. So I was like at the beach or water skiing. I did a little bit of nippers or just like playing in the backyard <laughs> pool even. So growing up in the water definitely set the path of becoming a swimmer. And then I remember watching, I went to one of the sessions for the 2000 Olympics in Sydney. And since then, like I always looked up to Susie O'Neill and I always from then wanted to know, I knew that I wanted to go to the Olympics like her and kind of go along that path. So that was pretty cool. And I think like, because my dad was a coach and I got to meet a lot of the swimmers as well growing up. So it was inspiring to me from quite a young age. But I don't know, I went through, as I got older, I fell away from swimming a little bit as well. Like I stopped quite a few times and especially going through my teenage years, I kind of didn't really want to do it anymore. Or I knew, like I knew that I wanted to go to the Olympics or something like that. But I didn't want to put in the hard work or <laughs> didn't want to wait that long. <laughs> oh, totally. I can imagine that it was so, you know, it's so hard to find something like that that you want so young and to do so well at it. Like you were in the Summer Youth Olympics and I can imagine like feeling that you're achieving those things, but then also you, it, it's consuming and you want to have an, a normal life, but then you also have these big goals, but then it's like the Olympics are only every four years. Like it must just be a, a hard pathway to kind of keep yourself on track. Yeah, it's kind of, it's overwhelming, I think, when you know you've got these huge goals and then especially something that comes around only every four years um, and then, like, obviously there's so much hard work that it takes to get there. But I've kind of learnt along the way that you wouldn't want to do it if it didn't take that hard work because I think that's what makes it so special as well. Yeah, absolutely. So talk us through from the, you know, the Youth Olympics to then your first tryout for selection was for 2012 in London, is that right? Yeah. It's, that's when you missed the selection and how, how did that kind of play out for you? I, I imagine like that kind of gearing up that that's going to be your time and like the training must be so grueling and, and timed around like 2012, 2016, like it's so focused on that and now 2020, like from there to now heading to, to Tokyo, you know, what happened in between? I, I saw there was a uni degree in, in there. Was that during a break from swimming? Where did you think that you were going in those times? Missing the 2012 Olympics at the time, I was really upset and then also knowing that if I wanted to go to the Olympics, it was going to be another four years, which is a massive amount of time. And it was kind of hard because my brother had made his first Olympics at that meet. And then so I was so happy for him and then upset that I wasn't going to be able to go with him. Um, so that was kind of hard, but I still got to go over and watch him, which was amazing. That's so cool that you're both Olympic swimmers. It's amazing. Your yeah. parents must be so <laughs> proud, them both being swimmers as well. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess it's kind of cool like that our parents, 
both Sam because they can help us and they kind of like understand the hard work you have to put in and the sacrifice I guess as well so they kind of can offer a lot of advice in that area as well. Yeah absolutely. So where did uni come into it? I think you started a bachelor's degree in public health and health promotion at Griffith. Was that in between Olympics? Like was that kind of after 2012 and you were reassessing what you wanted to do or did you know straight away you were going to try again for Rio? And did you have any um, idea how successful you'd be there? <laughs> well, uni, I moved away from Wollongong at the beginning of 2014. Um, and I moved up to Brisbane for training because I always had my dad as my coach when I lived in Wollongong. And he, I think it was actually harder for him than it was for me being like <laughs> a teenager. But yeah, I moved away and he kind of said to see if I liked having a coach that wasn't my dad and just like he wanted to give me that opportunity to see how that went um and so I moved up to Brisbane and lived up there me and my brother both moved and I loved it I loved training with a bigger squad and things like that um and that's when I started my uni degree which I haven't finished yet I'm kind of just ticking a subject like one or two subjects off each semester um I feel like you've had more than enough on your plate since then (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it's kind of good to do something else like keeps your mind active as well which is good yeah absolutely so then did, in the training for 2016, like I obviously want to talk about the fact that you became Australia's most successful swimmer in those games, which is so incredible. But in the lead up, how do you actually train for something like that? Like we've had, you know, we've had an Olympian on the podcast, but not a swimmer. But I'm also so interested to hear you know, are there other disciplines that really help you with your swimming? Are you running? I know you're a Nike athlete. When did that come into the into the picture? How does a swimmer prepare for something as big as the Olympics? Um, well, obviously, physically, there's so much training that goes into it. But I think for the Olympics, the Olympics is so different to any other meet, like different to World Championships, different to Commonwealth Games. I think because of the mental side that comes into it, because you know it only comes around every four years and it is the pinnacle of our sport. So the mental side is like so important when it comes to the Olympics so you don't get too overwhelmed and you can just get in and see it as a race, like you've done that race so many times before, but also juggling the fact that it is such a big thing. So I think that's a big part that you need to prepare for and I think hopefully going to Tokyo already having competed at Rio, I'll have that advantage as well. So Yeah, I can't imagine the nerves. Yeah, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think nerves are going to come into it no matter what. <laughs> of course. Like, how, what was it like in the lead up? Like, do you, you know, are you, how much are you swimming? Like, do you know what your times are going into it? Are you kind of like, are there any tricks that we would know about? Like how you put your goggles on and, you know, are you in the gym a lot? Or, are, you know, I know from the guys that you're loving the joy rides, you know, are you a runner? as well and how does that all impact how you are when you get in the pool? Uh, well leading into Rio I didn't really do any running because like well swimmers you probably heard before that swimmers can't run <laughs> but since so starting this preparation I've actually started doing a bit of running in my weekly routine which has helped so much with my fitness because I had a break after the world championships this year which were in Korea um, and then just getting back into training adding that running into my routines just got me fit a lot more quicker than I would otherwise. Being a swimmer, like I can just do laps and laps and like aerobically and then that won't tire me as much as going for even just like a 20-minute run will <laughs> tire me out so much. <laughs> so yeah, it helps with my fitness a lot. And I kind of like, I don't just run 
straight for three times. So I kind of I have to be careful with my joints and stuff because I am a water athlete, so I don't really do a lot of weight-bearing stuff. So I like yeah. run for 700, walk for 300. And just repeat that. That's awesome. I was in Korea as well this year with Nike for the joyrides and I'm similar to you, like couldn't run more than like not even a kilometre in a row. But I found like it's just actually quite joyful when you get first, like past that initial barrier, when you've got comfy shoes on and a good playlist, like you can actually really get pretty far. <laughs> yeah, the music definitely helps and um Having cushion issues, you just feel like you're not hitting the ground so hard, so it just feels like it's not as hard as it as what it actually is. <laughs> totally, it must feel so foreign for you being out of a pool. Like I always wonder because you're weightless all the time. Like, and how do you guys deal with like? Do you get green hair? Because I get green hair when I swim like twice, let alone like when you're in the pool all the time. Are there any like, you know, quirky little rituals that you guys do before races with like your caps or your goggles or your swimmers? Like, how do you work all that stuff out? I don't really have any, like, um, superstitions or anything like that, but everyone has their own little quirky things. Like, I press my goggles onto my eyes, like, hard so many times before I get up onto the blocks because I just <laughs> to make sure they don't fall off. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, yeah, and then just doing, like, you got your... I think it's just, like, little habits that you have, like, shaking your arms or, like, fixing the straps of your suit and things like that. Yeah, oh my gosh, amazing. So Rio, let's talk about your achievements in Rio. I mean, you were a gold, a silver, no, gold, two silvers and an individual bronze and also the first brother and sister duo to swim at an Olympics for Australia since 1960 because your brother was there as well for this one. What was it it like? I mean, did you have any idea that you would swim those times? (laughs) And, you know, what was the difference for you doing the relays to doing you know, your individual races and how did, and also doing cross-discipline. I mean, you did freestyle and butterfly. Like, that's extraordinary. It's amazing. How does it feel? Yeah, well, I guess looking back, like, I am proud of what I did there and it, I never expected to come away with those achievements. And still now, like, I kind of have to remind myself that I did that because I guess in swimming, <laughs> like, you've got something, like, there's a new competition on each year, so you kind of finish one and then you have a break and then you start training again, your eyes are on the next thing. So Mm. when I look back at that, like I realize what an achievement it is and I am really proud of what I did there as well. And obviously having my brother there, that was so special and to both be there doing our thing together. Um, And also our family were there in the crowd as well. So we could kind of share that with them as well, which was really nice. Oh, that's so amazing. And it's so interesting that you said, like, because you are always eyes on the prize and always, like, there's a race every year, even if it's not the Olympics, like, in between, you know, Olympians aren't just not doing anything. I think that's such an important theme in this podcast is that conveyor belt feeling of productivity and achievement that you don't really let yourself stop and just be excited that you got there because you're just suddenly like straight back on being like okay what's next what's bigger so now that you've you know done so well what how are you managing your expectations on yourself and what kind of goals are you setting for Tokyo and are you training differently you know what is the what does a second Olympics mean to you and also, how do how does being a Nike athlete in that process as well help and change the way that you prepare and what kind of gear do you need? And, you know, to a complete Olympics noob, like what is the next couple of months leading into next year look like for you? Well, I guess the fact that I've trained at this level 
for quite a few years now, I guess, to make improvements, like you have to do something different. And so leading into this next Olympics, I've already made a lot of changes in my training, um, including the running that I'm doing, which helps with like the back half of your races, having that extra bit of fitness. And then also the gym work that I'm doing is a massive part of what I'm doing as well, um, trying to get a lot stronger because my body type doesn't hold strength. Like I need to be in the gym three times a week doing weight stuff because I, I don't hold strength very much, like for mm-hmm. a long time. So, mm-hmm. And a lot of the girls that I'm racing against, they are really strong. So I felt like me and my coach felt like that's kind of an area that I needed to fill the gap in. And I've already started doing a lot more gym work and a lot heavier stuff. And so, yeah, it's definitely helped a lot. And I think obviously being a Nike athlete, I joined Nike in mid-2017. So that's been so, so much fun and such a good thing to be a part of. And it's helped me so much in my training and just having the right gear and the right shoes in my running and um, all the, the stuff that I can wear in the gym every day as well, which is really good. It's so funny how much kit makes a difference. Like you don't think it does yeah. and you put on something new and you're like, oh, my God, I'm so fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like each morning like I'm like, oh, what will I wear? <laughs> kind of, yes, it kind of sets your mood. It's weird like that. Yeah, totally. So for you, like when you get up on the blocks – do you guys have a say in like what do you have a choice of the you know kit that you wear on the day and like do you remember all of the race and do you hear anything like I always wonder in that moment where you're like standing up ready to dive in like can you even hear anything that's going on or are you like totally in the zone like what is that like to just I imagine it's so noisy in there um yeah well in Rio it was so loud um, especially if you had someone from Brazil in your race, um, the crowd just <laughs> yeah. went crazy. <laughs> and even if there wasn't someone from Brazil, they were so loud anyway, which is, I'd never experienced anything like that before. And so walking, like when you're announced and you walk out um, of the marshalling area to your um, area behind the block, for me, like I was so nervous to walk out in front of the crowd, but then walking out, and you hear the noise, I was kind of a bit distracted by the noise and then kind of forgot about my nerves. I remember also in Hungary, we had a world championships in 2017 and there was a Hungarian girl in my race, in my tournament freestyle. And I didn't even hear the whistle to get up onto the block and I just was standing on the side waiting and everyone else was up on the blocks ready to go. Oh, no! (laughs) Because it was so loud. And then they blew the whistle for everyone to stand down because two of us hadn't gotten up. And we were, I was like, what do you mean stand down? We haven't gotten up yet. <laughs> and I realised what had happened. It must feel so nice to be going into an Olympics, it not being your first time, so that all that stuff isn't an, another layer of distraction. Like, I'm sure you still get nervous, of course, but, like, going in this time, you're aware of the noise and, and all that stuff. Yeah, having gone to um, an Olympics before definitely helps because, like, when you get to the village even, like, there's so much stuff there to do when just it's a totally different world really so having done it before you kind of know how to manage yourself a bit better yeah (laughs) and what races are you focusing on are you doing relays again are you just doing your individual races um i'll be in relays hopefully and then um i'm focusing on 100 and 200 freestyle and 100 butterfly 
So they're all oh relay gosh. events as well. So it'll be quite a busy program. Amazing. You should see me try and do butterfly. I literally look like a dying whale. Like I just haven't mastered the ability to get myself back up out of the water. The I can do like two and then I'm just drowning. <laughs> <laughs> so the next segment is called NATA, which we've kind of covered a little bit of. It's pretty much just all the challenges that often don't get as much airtime along the way, like self-doubt or nerves or, you know, body image, particularly as an athlete and particularly as someone in the public eye, I can imagine there's a lot of pressure to look a certain way that you're conscious of. And coming from a swimming family, like, has that added, you know, any burdens for you or burnout when you're traveling and swimming all the time? What have been some of the biggest challenges to you? I guess, like, all of those things have been challenges. Um, I definitely not the fact that my family swim, that's never been um, a pressure for me because they've always been so supportive of me um, and just wanted me to be happy, really. Burnout's definitely played out in my swimming career so far um, at different stages because you can't, you, it's hard to stay motivated and that switched on for such a long period of time. And I now work with a psychologist, which is definitely helping me through different things and like um, setting goals and because you can be quite critical of yourself as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And so like they've helped me to, after each session, even just writing down something that I did well or, or just even something throughout the day that I'm proud of myself for doing. Oh, that's amazing. It's helped a lot with like that self-criticism part of it. Yeah, I've been seeing a psychologist weekly for maybe four or five years and just I can't imagine now sorting out my head without it. Like when you expect yourself to operate at a particular level without, you know, criticising yourself all the time, it's just it helps so much when you're trying to, when you expect as much as you do of yourself. It's so good to have someone to help externalise all that with when you're trying to, you know, really calling on yourself all the time to perform. Yeah. Yeah, it's helped me so much. Like, I don't know why I hadn't done it earlier, to be honest. I also can't remember a me that could survive without it. I'm like, oh, gosh. And do you get much time for rest? How do you rest your, not just your body, but also your mind in between? Like, are you training every day or... Do you take days off? Do you take stretches of time to rest? Uh, I train Monday through to Saturday. Um, and so our last session of the week is Saturday morning, uh, which is usually one of the hardest sessions of the week. And so finishing that one feels so nice. And then because I live on the Gold Coast, I can just go down the beach or like I, that's the way that I find that I switch off the best. It's just, yeah, go down the beach. And it kind of feels like a little holiday. And then we start back up Monday morning. And then during the day, doing uni work definitely is a good way for me to, like, rest my mind. It kind of takes, you know, otherwise I'm just, like, thinking about swimming or something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, yeah, just doing little things that I enjoy is my way that I rest. Have you found that being, you know, successful then brings you into the public eye and with social media and the digital world, has that been a factor for you, like people recognising you or you feeling the need to be connected all the time and I think a lot of people who do become successful, that comes with it and then they kind of get really overwhelmed at putting their phone down and not being connected all the time. Yeah, I, don't, I definitely don't feel a pressure to like be connected. I kind of like to more show my personal side, like the things that I like doing on the weekends or um, things like that in amongst my training. And then I guess like I'm not recognised 
a lot or I don't really notice. <laughs> I kind of like it when kids will come up to me and ask for a photo or something like that because I remember being young looking up to people and so I kind I really like it when they come up to me and want to chat or something like that because yeah I remember being that young and looking up to people and um, wishing that I could go and talk to them or um, find out a bit about them and so I want to be able to give that to the young ones coming through even the ones that aren't swimmers they just like something about what I'm doing I kind of want to be a role model in that area. Oh, that's amazing. Is it is that something that you would think about going into later down the track? Like, do you think further ahead than the next Olympics? Like, that's something that also interests me is how far ahead people have their heads. And because you guys have such, like, defined four-year pinnacles, in the future, like, down the track, would you think about coaching? Would you do what your dad did or, like, be around the younger generation of swimmers? I don't think that I would be a coach. I don't think that would suit me very much. And I think like once I finish swimming, I'm going to be not getting up super early. (laughs) But I would like to be around young swimmers that are coming through, um, especially young girls, because obviously different experiences that I had might might help the ones coming through in any way. Because I think like when I look back uh, when I was young, like I would have loved to have had someone that was there that I could literally ask anything to. And I think I was also quite shy um, when I was young as well, so I don't think I would have asked. But I want to hopefully be someone that people can come to and literally be comfortable to ask anything. Different experiences that I have had. Like I could have had them maybe so that I could have helped someone in the future. Yeah. For that reason, yeah. And just before we move to the next section, what in those moments where, I mean, training six days a week is just an enormous amount of motivation would be needed, I can imagine. And if anyone's known a swimmer, they are up like pre-4, pre-5 a.m. every day of their life pretty much. Like one of my friends has been doing that since she was like five. It's a very early start every day. I'd actually forgotten about this. But how do you stay motivated? What motivates you? Is it challenging yourself to a new time? Is it how you feel when you get in the pool? Is it the impact that you can have with your swimming? Like, I'm sure everyone's motivated from a different place. But for you, when it's hard for you to get up in the morning, what gets you out of bed? Well, firstly, I think getting enough sleep is a big thing for me. Um, Because if I wake up tired, I'm not going to be motivated. So I always make sure that I'm getting at least eight hours sleep a night. I think my goals are the main thing that motivate me. And then setting small goals in around those, um, because those big goals can kind of become overwhelming as well like if I'm Mm. always thinking about the Olympics or wanting to be on the podium if I'm always picturing that every single session it's it can get really overwhelming and also stressful so I set like little small um, focus points for each session whether it's like something to fix with my technique or something with my turns or something like that Um, and then after the session like I said before like I just I write down what I did well in that session or what, I, what I'm proud of or something like that. And that's helped me a lot with my motivation because, yeah, it just makes you not so overwhelmed. And, um, like, I know what my goals are and I know I always can see them, but it just makes it a little bit easier to, I guess, manage mentally. Yeah, that's such a good point. I talk about that often, the fact that I think 
people get paralyzed by having goals that are too big because, you know, there's this whole dialogue about like, if your dreams aren't big enough, if they don't scare you, they're not big enough. And, you know, dream big all the time, which is amazing. You've got to have the big, impossible dreams. But if you don't have the smaller ones to get there, to even get started, and if it feels too impossible, like no one starts because they're just so scared. So I think the small achievable goals are as important, if not more. And it's so interesting that you set those for yourself. Like at an Olympic level, that still applies, that you've got that in your mind, but you have to, in between every four years, you've got to have something that makes you happy in between. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yeah, the happiness part is so big too because like my both my parents have even said, because they both swam, they actually swam with my coach back when they all swam. So, oh, yeah. that's so cute. <laughs> yeah. Um, but my dad actually said to my coach, like, if she's not happy, she won't swim well. Wow. Yeah. That's such an important part of what I do as well is making sure I'm happy and there's kind of more purpose to what I'm doing rather than just trying to hit a time all the time, which is really nice. That is the perfect segue into the last section, which is called Play TA, which is exactly all about that. The fact that if you're not happy in what you're doing, like there's no amount of success or money or metrics or hitting goals that is worth anything if you're not enjoying it. And I think people get too distracted by one and forget the other. And then they're like, oh, I'm actually, I'm just still don't, I don't feel any different. I've got all these things. I've hit all these goals and I'm not joyful because they... They forget to play, they forget the inner child and they forget to even ask if they're happy. Like I was a corporate lawyer yeah. for a few years and I was like kicking all the goals I'd had since I was a kid, but I wasn't really asking whether I enjoyed it. And I think it's weird that we don't, in, you know, we don't enjoy a lot of the things we do because we just do them because we should. So I love that happiness is such a big part of y- your performance. Like it actually changes whether or not you're going to swim well, but it's also just important for life. So when you're not swimming, what makes you happy? Like, what do you do for joy or to just play? Is there anything that you do that's just a hobby or just for fun, like in your spare time or downtime? Um, I love reading novels or like biographies, which I find really interesting. And then I love going to the beach, um, which you think I would want to get back in the water again. But yeah, <laughs> I do love just being in the salt water. I find that makes me happy. Um, and just being around my friends, really, friends and family, um, I know love and support me and I love and support them. So that kind of relationship just kind of fills you up a bit. Totally. I think people fill your cup up so much. Like one of my favorite quotes is, you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. And if you have a goal and the five people around you aren't on board with that, like it's just so hard. But if you have five people who are totally with you, you'll get there, no like no worries. It will be so easy. Because you know they've got your back. Totally. Yeah, totally. Do you watch Netflix? Are you a TV person? Do you listen to podcasts? I do try and listen to podcasts when I'm driving because um, I drive about 20 minutes to training there and back twice a day. So podcasts are good. I love Netflix. I'm watching – I rewatch Friends all the time. <laughs> Me too. So obviously that makes me happy. <laughs> I feel like anything that transports you away from the world that you're in, like as long as you're not watching a swimming show, then it just kind of rests your brain and then you're fresh. If you consume yourself with anything, like you, you can have too much of a good thing and it can just like kill your creativity. So I love that you watch TV and I love that you watch Friends. It's like the best show in the whole entire world. Yeah. <laughs> 
anytime, anytime. It's yeah, I feel like even if you're watching it as background noise, like you can kind of still do a bit of work and it doesn't distract you too much. Especially if you watch so many seasons already, you can just like Leave have it, it in the background and you know exactly what's going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just to finish up, what are the three interesting things about you that don't normally come up in conversations? So this is like allergies or random party tricks or all that like quirky fun stuff because I feel like people love to know the person behind the name that they hear all the time and this is where like the most random things come out. I can water ski. Oh there you go that's a good one. Do you do it often? Oh not really when I was young I used to water ski a lot like you could do it all day long and now like if I do it once a year my arms are just sore for like five days <laughs> and I can only do it for like five minutes. Oh my God. I was talking to um, Steph Goldie Gold from Nike who is love surfing and I say oh, that yeah. I'm a surfer but I surf like once a year and same thing. Like I get up on the board like twice and the next day I can't lift my arms above my shoulders. It's so funny. <laughs> what about, do you, what, do you have a middle name? Do you have any like weird skills? Maybe that I'm, I'm quite quiet. I'm not shy, but I kind of just talk, like talk when I have something to say. That's a very good skill and also quite rare, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I used to be quite like self-conscious about it, but now I I really like that that I'm like that. Yeah, I love it. I think it's um, better to say less than you need to than to say too much. You don't need to say... I, I'm like a, such a verbose person, but most of it is just rubbish. And I would love to be as like economical <laughs> as you. <laughs> Very last question, since I love quotes so much. What is your favourite motivational quote? Well, I have I kind of remember different ones at different points, like during training or during life. Um, during training, I like the one uh, that says, "Pain is temporary and glory is forever." Oh. Like when when tra- when you're like in the middle of a main set and your body is just really hurting I can't yeah it's a good one to remember that this pain is only going to last as long as the set and then it's just going to help me in my goals that I want to achieve yeah that's amazing yeah (laughs) well thank you so much Emma for joining and sharing your wisdom I'm so excited for you for 2020 we will be following you along in Tokyo I hope all the rest of your preparation goes amazingly and maybe see you on the running track in our joy rides. I'll be walk running. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, lovely. Thanks so much for having me. I just can't even imagine what it's like hearing the roar of the crowd in an Olympic event. How excited she must be about Tokyo 2020. I'm sure I won't be the only one keenly following along to see how she goes in the pool. Make sure you follow at Emma McKeon and of course screenshot and tag her if you enjoyed listening along. I keep forgetting to remind you all but there's a little prize each week for the best share. On another note, the very first CZA live episode event is coming up next week and I'm counting down the days. I'll be interviewing the gorgeous former Miss Universe and speech pathologist Olivia Molly Rogers on the evening of Tuesday 10th of December at Mercedes Me Melbourne and we've already got over a hundred of you joining for the occasion. There are still tickets left and I would love to meet some of you in person so I'll pop a link for tickets in the show notes. In the meantime, hope you're having a great start to the month and a seizing your yay.